Hello, everyone. This is Matt Ferret, author of Prepare for Medicare and Prepare for Social Security Insiders Guidebooks and Online Course Training Series. Welcome to another episode of The Matt Ferret Show, where I interview insiders and experts to help light a path to successful living in midlife, retirement, and beyond. Janelle, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you, Matt, for having me. Well, tell everybody what you do, how long you've been doing it, and how you help people. What I do is live a fabulous life. How I do it is RV travel full-time around the country, and I help people by owning a club and facilitating other people being able to do this to travel with the rest of us and do this life. That's awesome. So for those of you that are listening to this and not watching it, I'm looking at the inside of an RV. That's no joke. We're not pulled over into a into a house or anything. You're out there right now. How long have you been doing the the RV thing? Since about 2015, but full-time since 2019. In 2019, I sold everything I owned and literally drove off into the wild blue yonder. You know, this is a dream of many people. And you know what? I'll just admit it. It's a dream of mine. But that's all it is right now. I haven't taken any steps. I'll poke around RV shows like a, I don't know what you'd call me, like a nerd. I mean, I'll see one and I'll get all excited. I've never owned an RV. I've never even rented an RV. If I want to do this, how do I even start? We have a lot in common. When I bought my first RV, I had never been in an RV. I had never vacationed in one and I had never driven one. I'm the type of person I go all in or I'm out. I mean, but I would suggest for the normal person to do a little research, go to some RV shows, because the hardest thing, believe it or not, is what kind of RV you want. You think you want this huge thing, or you think you want this little van, but the average person buys three RVs before they settle on the one that they want. And that's true. That's exactly what I did. And I didn't think I would do that, but there's a lot to do before you actually get started. But dreaming's the first part. Okay, so tell me your story. I want to hear it. So 2015, you started poking around in this lifestyle. How did you start beginning to think time in your life? You know, gosh darn it, I got to do it. Was there something that that provided the spark? How How did you kind of start actually putting dreams into action? I worked across the street from a Prevost dealer, the million dollar coaches, million dollars back then, 15 years ago. And I would watch people. I'd look out my window and I would watch people driving off in them, walking around them, putting stuff in them, you know, obviously going somewhere. And I would sit there and think as I, you know, typed away and talked on the phone, I wonder where they're going. I wonder what they're doing. And that literally has put that little seed in my head. And after a couple of years, I finally went over there and said, Hey, can I tour one of these things? What, what do you, what do you do? Where do you go? And I toured a million dollar bus and was like, wow, I left deflated. Wow. I, I guess I can't do this. This is crazy. Okay. Well, this is crazy anyway. Then I started noticing other RVs on the road and thinking, oh, maybe you don't start off with a million dollar bus. I mean, I literally had to come to that, you know, like going backwards. <laughs> so right. then I realized, oh, you could buy an RV for 10 grand. You could buy an old RV for five grand. So then I started going to RV dealerships and, and looking at them. And then I went to my first RV show. And when I went left that RV show, I'm like, this is it. I'm doing this. I don't know how, when, what, but I'm doing this. So I retired in 2015, bought my first RV. I call it my starter RV. I literally had no clue on what I was doing. When I tell you no clue, again, I never even driven one. So the first time I I drove off the the parking lot, I ran over the curbs. Uh, (laughs) You know, they had them flyer banners out. 
you know, I sideswiped that. It didn't do any damage because it was a like a flag, but I sideswiped out and I literally was like, well, let the adventure begin. <laughs> and it began from there. <laughs> okay. So you're driving out. You don't know how to drive one of these things. What'd you do first? I mean, yeah, keep going. I want to know what this, what this is like. Tell me, what'd you do first? Did you park it in your driveway? Had you already sold all your stuff? Did you have an RV park? Uh, I guess I'm interested in the logistics of this whole thing. So the first, my starter RV was in 2015 and I did what the normal people did. I, you know, drove here, drove there and tried to learn about the RV. And after I had a, a, a tree branch, wipe everything off the top of the RV and put holes in the RV, I drove and turned that in. And then I actually got the RV that I wanted, which is this one right here, this big bus, you know, not a bus, but a class A that I drive. So that's really when the adventure began. When I bought this, I knew I wanted to sell everything and move into this. And so long story short, I get this, I sell everything and I drive off from in the RV and drive straight to Nyland, California. I still did not know what I was doing. And I'd learned a little bit in the other RV, but in this RV, I didn't have hot water for a week because I couldn't remember how to turn the hot water on. So I'm in this big, fancy new rig, boiling hot water for showers. So <laughs> the adventure goes on and on and on with me in these RVs. Okay. So where was home base at least? Texas. 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 And then you, you just picked up and drove, what, 20 some odd hours to California and along the way. How did you know, like, where do you start? RV places? Are there RV maps? I mean, I see those old old school Sam's Club stickers. Is that even a thing anymore? Like, how do you decide to go? How do you do this? I mean, I, I get driving from point A to point B, but yeah. when you don't know what you're doing, you can't figure out how to do the hot water. Tell me about that adventure, at least that first one. Yeah, I definitely needed help. I mean, it's obvious I needed help with this. So when I left the RV dealership that I bought this RV in Fort Worth, I had sold everything. And I mean, no no storage, no nothing. So I drive straight to Nani, California because I don't know where to go either. But I had found online an RV club for solo travelers. Because remember, I'm doing this on my own. I, I'm uh, right. I'm single. And so I drove to this RV club. And I'm telling you, Matt, the second I walked up and joined their the, a meeting that they were having, I knew I'd found my people, my tribe, if you will. I learned so much from them. First, first things first, I stood up at the meeting. I'm like, I'm brand new here, but does anybody know how to turn the hot water heater on in my RV? <laughs> Uh, literally. And somebody else with the RV like mine is like, here, I'll go help you. I'll, I'll do it for you. And so from there, I mean, I, I went from, from surviving in this lifestyle to actually thriving and having a wonderful life to, to what I have now. Fast forward, you know, almost five years later, it's much better. How it started into today, miles and miles, <laughs> pardon the pun, but miles apart of, of how I live my life now. So like you said, you jumped all in, you jumped in with both feet first and not knowing how deep the pool was, it sounds like. If I'm a little scared of doing that, like uh, selling all my stuff, selling all my house and just going all in first off, would you recommend that for people? Would you do it the same way? Would you do it differently again if you had to? I would like to say as a more mature, older person that I would do it different, but knowing me, I'd still do it the same way. Now, I would tell people don't do what I did unless you're that type of person all in, you know, and I'd been thinking about this. I mean, it makes a funny story, but I had been thinking about this for several years. When I had that very first starter RV, I had been on the road here and there and here and there, and I would come home 
to, to check on my house. So I realized after a while, I don't want to go home to check on that house anymore. Let me get an RV that fits me better. And that's kind of the issue is the RV that fits you and you fits your lifestyle. You buy a different RV if you're, if you're wanting to travel every couple of days, as opposed to every couple of weeks or once a month, those are two different, you, you can do it, but those are really two different RVs. I would tell people to definitely slow down. First of all, think about what you're doing. Do you want to rent your house, sell your house? You want storage? Do you not want storage? I mean, there's some, there's a lot of decisions to make here and getting rid of all your stuff is like this huge looming. I don't care if you are putting it in storage. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you have to deal with when you first start, but research like with anything, research is the key, figuring out what you actually want to do. I think there's probably a lot of people. And if there's not, then it's just me. That I like to think I don't need to have all my stuff, right? That that, that it's going to be easy for me to to uh, to to get rid of all my stuff. But I still have stuff that I haven't gotten rid of. Like for example, I can just think of several possessions that I like. I mean, I don't maybe even use. And if I were to do this whole sell the whole thing or put it in storage, I'm going to feel some pulls and some pangs of pain. I mean, I can think of. I got a fancy guitar and a fancy guitar amp. I've been lugging around the country for the last 25, 30 years since college. I don't play it anymore, but it's still there. It's one of those possessions that, you know, I just, I don't know, I like to have. It reminds me of my past. What kind of mental gymnastics did you have to go through, or did you, when you were looking at your worldly possessions and going like, yeah, I'm getting rid of all these things? I tell you, Matt, that is a, a strong point you're making there. I had college textbooks. I haven't been in college in 30 years. Okay, if I'm being generous, we'll probably a little more. But I haven't been in why I'm looking those textbooks around. So I get it with your with your guitar. I wrote an article for Rootless Magazine that uh, they're going to publish this month or next, I think. And it was about how hard it was to get rid of my stuff. I sold my house very easily. I sold a second car that I had, sold all my dishes knickknacks, trinkets, furniture. I was down to the, I'd closed on the house and the lady let me stay two weeks and I was down to a mattress on the floor and one lawn chair my mom gave me so I could sit, you know, and I was living on that mattress for the last few days. And I had, it was my clothes, my clothes and my shoes I had trouble with. And it, I came after I did some soul searching. It was how, why it was so hard for me to get rid of that, the clothes and the shoes is because you know, I was born and raised poor. Uh, you know, I had hand-me-downs. I can remember the one new coat I got growing up. So especially as a girl, as I got older, was able to buy a nice suit and $300 shoes and purses and this and that. It kept me in that world of I can, this is who I am now. You know, I've made it. I've got it going on. So when I got rid of those last few clothes, it was like, wow, I'm really giving up that life. You know, I, I like to say I had one high heeled foot in that life and one flip flop life and in, in flip flop shoe in this new life of mine. And my mom came over and we like really talked about it. And once I was able to see they're just clothes and, you know, a sparkly dress I haven't worn in 10 years, like your guitar, but I paid good money for that dress. I'm not letting go of it. Once I kind of realized this was a mental thing, I got rid of every bit of that crap. Uh, you know, I didn't need three pair of red high heels. Oddly, a pinstripe suit that I thought I might need. And really, at the very end, I'm like, I should keep one pinstripe suit in case I have to go to, what, a meeting in the corporate world? I, I don't know. <laughs> An RV club meeting someplace in the middle of uh, Colorado? Yeah, I don't, never have needed one. Never needed. And I... 
I did the article on one bathing suit, how one bathing suit can disrupt your life. I literally have one bathing suit. And when that wore out and got dingy, I bought one more and got rid of that other one. I survive now on four or five pair of shoes. I may have seven or eight dresses, four pair of shorts, and about six dresses. And it's great. There's not an hour of what am I going to wear trying on. It all goes together. I don't miss any of those. I don't remember any of my old clothes anymore, funny enough. Oh, that is funny. Did you ever have any pangs of regret for something that you think, man, I should have kept that? No, no. Because things like, there was a handful, and I mean, when it came down to it, a handful. My grandmother's dishes. I made my daughter take them. She's like, I don't want these old dishes. I'm like, yeah, they're going to go over this cabinet real good. And I just put them in there. Because she might not want them, but my granddaughter will. So, so you did a little you did a little dump and running, huh? Yes. And then, I mean, but I name on one hand the things I did. A lamp from the 1930s that was my aunt's. You know, I made my sister take that. But the dishes and the, you know, the guitars and all that, gone. They're gone. Buy them again if you want them. But I bet you won't. Because like you said, you don't even play guitar anymore. I bet you won't. I haven't bought a pair of high heels or a pinstripe suit since. (laughs) all right all right so we got the we got the whole mental thing and the uh, mental uh, recalculation or the readjustment around the around the physical items right your physical house your physical possessions and and um, you know how your brain attaches to certain things how did you prepare for this financially and i don't obviously mean well hopefully obviously i don't mean you know tell me your finances but how do you prepare for this stuff financially right doing you you yeah, people create budgets either on paper in a computer program or in your head of right all right here's my mortgage or here's when i pay the house off here's you know what the power bill is going to be here's what i'd like to give to my kids for maybe you know helping out with the college stuff how and then you this is shifted completely. You're getting rid of all your worldly possessions. You're buying an expensive RV that also takes maintenance, right? Now you're paying a lot more gas money and now you're you know you're shopping or you're eating out or you're paying fees. How did you approach the whole like, okay, not only is my physical life changing and my physical location gonna change, but my finances are gonna change. How did you uh prepare or uh, wrap your brain around that? After getting rid of the stuff, you're right. The next thing that most people worry about is the money part of it. You can live this life extremely cheaply if you want to. I mean, there's people living out here on $1,000 a month. Now, I'm very fortunate that I don't have to you know, be quite that type, but it's just like any other lifestyle. You live your life. Those first few months are chaotic. You don't know what's coming and going or what, but immediately what drops off immediately is the house taxes, the electric, the the you still have a a, a phone bill that's probably going to be higher because now you won't have internet per se, so that comes right off your phone. Although there's ways around it, but several bills drop right off, and so you might be lulled into this financial like, wow, this is going to be great. I don't have to pay this three hundred dollar electric bill. My taxes of five hundred dollars a month, or you know whatever you put aside for your taxes, all that's gone. Insurance, you know, for the house is gone. Yes, but. Then you got gas, gasoline or diesel is the one thing that goes up and down and up and down. So what I did was kind of set a monthly budget of uh, back then when I first got started and really didn't know what I was doing on this RV right here that gets on a good day with wind and not moving. This RV maybe gets nine miles to the gallon as long as I'm not moving, Ooh. you know. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it hurts. It listen, you know, it hurts. People at the gas station when they're like, Good Lord, sixty dollars for gas and I'm over here on three hundred. I'm like, Don't even talk to me about, you know, don't even come over here, buddy. So what I do is I figure right now I'm figuring four dollars a gallon. 
$4 a gallon at, you know, 60 miles or 300 miles, how many miles sort of this month, let's say I want to go to, well, right now we'll use a real world example. I'm in Canada. I'm traveling about every 10 days. I'm traveling about 150 miles. So 10 days in three months is three times I'm going to travel and I'm doing 160 miles, give or take. So 160 miles times five, and you can come up with a quick budget right there. Now, maybe I can't afford to do that this month. So I only travel two of the times instead of three of the times that I want to do. And once you kind of get that little mindset like that, you'll figure it out. You're not going to eat out any more than you did in your real life, you know, in your sticks and bricks house, I will. Because once you get past the part of, oh my God, I'm doing this, you realize it's everyday life. I still have to do laundry. I still have to clean. You know, I still have to go to the grocery store. I didn't eat out in real life the other way. So I'm not going to eat out every day here. So just, you know, I always say RVing is a mindset. It's a shit. It's up here. It's not in the finances or getting rid of your stuff. It's up here. And that's part of the financial as well. Okay, I'm asking a couple more practical questions. And how do you, what do you do? You get a PO box? You get a friend? I mean, you're in Canada right now. You're, mm-hmm. I, mean, I gotta imagine your bank account's got to have a, some sort of permanent address, right? Your driver's license has to have some permanent address. How do you handle the whole permanent address thing? It's so easy. And and the people are like with prescriptions that get mailed in and all, you know, yeah. they're like, well, I would go, but I have prescriptions that mailed in. Otherwise I'm not doing this life. I'm like, are you kidding me? But so for an address, cause you're right, you need a physical address. There's several mail companies that cater to RVers and I use one in South Dakota and that's my address. But I also had like my sister's address, my daughter's address. You can find stuff. But if you use a mail service, they'll forward it to you. They'll FedEx it, your mail to you anywhere you are in the country. Um, They'll get all your mail. And if you want them to, they'll open it and scan it so you can see if it's something you need to deal with or not. It's quite easy. It you know it takes you a day of getting all the addresses changed, but it's actually quite easy. Huh. So, all right, let's 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 say you're trying to get something like that. Uh, prescriptions, that's a great one I didn't even think of. What if you're getting prescriptions mailed to you? I guess quit that and just put it to a, uh, a big box store? I only have one prescription and I just have it at Walmarts because Walmarts are everywhere. But I mean, you can have it FedExed. You can have anything FedExed to you. Like right now I'm in a campground. If I had something at my mailbox place I needed, I would just have them FedEx it here. Huh. No big deal. You just say, here's the campground address. Yeah, it's no big deal. And the campgrounds know it. You go in there and there's like nine FedEx packages. They know. Once if People that are at an RV park, they know they're going to get mail from us. Tell me about RVs, and and I am an amateur. Again, like I said, I poke around RV shows every once in a while just to, mm-hmm, to like dream. you. Like, what what does a million-dollar RV look like? Yeah. Uh, and you know what? They're not even a million anymore. They're even more now. That was 15 years ago. What? I mean, I know there's class, there are classes, right? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I have no idea, but I, I know there's the, the at least the first three, right? A, yeah. B, and C. A and B. If I'm going to do this, how do I get about, do I start renting a few and seeing if it works out, you know, taking it on a trip? How do, how do I baby step myself into this to figure out, I don't want to go through three RVs. Yeah. Maybe I only want to go two or one. How do I go do this? What's your advice? I would definitely go rent one first. A cla- just a quick version. A class A is like a bus, you know, it's not, I mean, it can be that big, but class A is a bus and they're anywhere from, I don't know, 30 feet to 44 feet. Uh, mine's 36 Class A. A Class B is like a, a van, picture a van. And there's a B plus and all that, but a, a B is a van. 
Is that like the uh, sprinter vans that I see that are so popular right yeah. now that kind of look like a very tall, like utility van? Yes, exactly. You know, and then there's categories within that. And then a C is a truck and it comes out over the the bed, if you know, or I don't know what it's called. The part of it comes out over the, the, the top of the truck. And, and then there's like a square on the back. That's a class C. Okay, so but that's all in one though the class C. So those are the kind of those aren't the the things you plop down on a uh, on a a big huge pickup truck. Those are the things that are actually still they're still integrated. Yes, uh, right. All of those are integrated. Now then you get into to trailers to pull pull alongs pull behind you here at sale thing a travel trailer. It just hooks to the back of your it just hooks to the back of your truck literally with a hitch you know, no big deal. It hits the back. And then there's a fifth wheel. I don't know why they call it fifth wheel, but a fifth wheel is huge. And it comes down into the bed of the pickup truck and attaches there. And those are like, could be 35, 40 feet. Those are big ones as well. That's the basic. I think we've all seen these on the road Mm -hmm. and they're all in the right lane. Almost RVs sitting there in the right lane doing the actual speed limit, which (laughs) isn't a thing if you don't have an RV anywhere in the country. But I have seen these trailers with these big F-350s and 250s chugging up a hill. Yep. And I think two things every time I pass them. Number one, man, if it's a windy day, I don't know that I'd like to have a massive trailer in the back of my truck. And then the second thing I always think of, good gosh, I bet that truck costs more than the than the fifth wheel, than the trailer. Because pickup trucks, I don't know if anybody's ever checked these out before, but they're not cheap. They're not. They are not inexpensive and even used ones. So between the kind of the integrated ones, right, the ones that are all in one and the ones that are trailers, how did you come to a decision to go to one that's all encompassing or that's not even a word, is it? So, I mean, it is, but it doesn't apply here. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean, right? How do you go from trailer or, in, or uh, you know, all in one? How, how did you, how do you, I think about that? My first RV, the starter one was a trailer and I didn't like that right away. Did not like it because me traveling by myself, I didn't feel as safe in that. And it didn't have a generator. Okay. Now with a class C or my class A, when I pull in somewhere, let's say I'm staying at a truck stop for the night or the side of the road or or just in a parking lot, whatever. I can pull in, pull my shade down on the front, actually touch a button and the shade goes down and I am completely enclosed. If I need it, I can turn my generator on. I can cook dinner. I can you know, watch TV for the night and I never have to go outside. With the trailer, I didn't like that there was no generator and I had to get out of my truck and come around and get in the trailer. And I didn't like people seeing that I was there by myself. Yeah, that's that single part. We're gonna. Yes. I want to get to that for okay. sure because I know that's totally different than than that. Yeah. Okay, so what about that scenario? Forget the truck stop. Let's say you're saying stay in some place ten days. I have to imagine in, in these your class A or even a class B or C. What if you got to go to the store? Do you have to unplug everything and unhook everything, and then those little stabilization. I'm not even saying it right, but you know what I'm saying. Like you, you got to you got to get up and go and leave your campground with a whole big bus. Is is that a downside of having kind of one of these all all in one class uh, RVs? Well, yeah, if you did it that way, but you don't do it that way. You pull a car behind you. I pull a little. I pull a Nissan Versa behind me, and as soon as I get to the campground, I unhook the car in two minutes. And have the car available. Now, a B, a class B, the van type, they don't put the jacks down, the stabling jacks down. They don't have all that. So they literally can 
go to the store and drive off. And that's one of the reasons they like those is it's all in one. They give up space for that. But again, it's, you know, what RV fits your lifestyle, what you want to do. A lot of people don't want to, I'm 60 feet going down the road. A lot of people don't want 60 feet going down the road. So, but I like it. It's my life. This isn't a vacation for me. This is my life. So I need a car. Hmm. Yeah. That's why you get eight miles of the gallon. <laughs> yeah, if I'm not moving. Yeah, exactly. Pull a Nissan. Yeah. Well, and then, so my first, the first thing I had was a Jeep. Because I thought, I see everybody with Jeeps, so I thought, you know, it's the rule. You know, you have to have a Jeep. I couldn't, I didn't like that. Jeeps are great. I'm not saying anything bad about Jeeps. But for me, that was not good. And it weighed 5,000 pounds. This little Nissan I have now weighs, I want to say, 2,500 pounds. Don't quote me on that. But it was a lot, lot less, which helped, you know, me go from eight miles to the gallon to nine miles to the gallon. <laughs> well, I mean, on a percentage basis, it's a pretty good improvement. Yeah, over, over the long, it's over the long haul. Yeah, it's something. You know, you went back to. I mean, it's hilarious, but it's also very realistic. Your first RV, you pulled out a lot, ran over the curb, hit a flag, and kept trucking. Is there training that I should take for driving one of these things? And I'm just thinking of myself. I've driven mm-hmm. trailers before, but good gosh, 60 feet going down the road on a mountain pass in Colorado with, with wind shear, that's not the same as driving a minivan. You learned by doing. Yes. It sounds like. Are there other suggestions that you have for other people to maybe take a different approach or she just, you know throw caution into the wind. Ha ha. Get it? Wind. Yeah. Another pun. No, there's definitely yeah. RV classes you can take. There's driving classes you can take. There's RV maintenance classes you could take. Going backwards, I would definitely take at least the RV maintenance class. But yeah, take a class on driving. You know, there's or YouTube. There's a class for everything. But yeah, I, want, I know there's some in Texas classes. Where you bought your, your yeah. second or third one. Yeah. yeah so all I'm right, sure uh, they're all in the country. Yeah, hit that thing. What if I'm not very handy? I am very handy. But what if what if I'm not and and I'm intimidated? Well, I would tell you you're going to get in handy real quick because outside of the electrical part of this thing nightmare I'm in here, and I say that because the electric, I love this RV. Outside of the electric part, you will learn. And you may, you know, you may learn the electric part of it, but you will learn because you have to. Number one, it's hard to get into a place to have your RV fixed. And when you see how ridiculously easy it was for them to turn a screw or to replace a screw or something, you'll, you'll be like, okay, I got that for next time. Like I changed out my water pump about, I don't know, six months ago. And I had a spare water pump. And that's what I suggest for everyone. Buy, get a spare water pump, put it in your RV. And I was in Pennsylvania in a lovely area looking out on the trees. It was beautiful. And I couldn't get to my water. It was a, a free land. So, you know, I wasn't at a campground and I took that water pump out. There was two screws. I'm like, all right, I'm going to figure this out because there's no RV place nearby. And then I can't do a three month wait to get in somewhere. So I went out there and oh, changed my own. Three months? Yeah. It's a long time. It it takes, not always, but especially for my, my rig. Yeah. It's, and, and that's a, work being done on the, the, the coaches. Yeah. It's, it takes a long time. I figured it out and I changed it in 15 minutes. And that was including watching a YouTube video on it as I did it. You mm-hmm. will become handy going back to your question. You, or you, you know, get a list together and go on an RV place and, you know, spend two, three grand for them to do it. 
That doesn't sound like something I'd want to do. Yeah, no. So I used to get my generator serviced, and it was everywhere from $99 to $200. And the last time I asked the guy, can I watch you do that? And he said yes. And I watched him. He literally turned a screw, turned the filter, and let it drain. Put the screw back in, or the plug back in, and poured stuff in it. I'm like, oh, my God. I'll never pay for that again. It was so simple. And then I'm like, I'm going to change the oil in this RV. And so I figured out how to change the oil in the RV. Got a little oil in my hair that took a week to get out. But you know what? (laughs) That was so easy to do. So I keep going back to your question of what if you're not handy? If you just have a little bit, just do a little bit, learn a little bit of your RV, it'll be easy. It'll, you can do it. You know, I found that as an adult as well. It can be very intimidating, but I, you know, around the house, I've rehabbed uh, my own house a couple of times Mm -hmm. in this, uh, in this life. And what I ended up figuring out after doing it is it's really A plus B equals C a lot of this. Like when you're changing your oil, it's, well, there's a plug. Yeah. You you have to catch the oil. It drains. Thanks, gravity. And then you have to fill the oil again. Yes. Like it's not. It's no. not as hard as, you know what I mean? It's no. not uh, it's not calculus. No, but we've always lived in sticks and bricks houses where you always got your oil changed, you know, especially, you know, in the working world. When I was working, I'm like, I work 60 hours. I don't have time to learn to oil change. Just do it. Here's throw some money at it and keep going. Well, now I have time and I don't want to throw money at it. Going back to that budget you talked about, that's an easy way to save some money or not put money out is to learn to do some of your own little maintenance. And just like we all learn at our first house, you know, that's so intimidating to change a faucet out. We all learn to do it. It's the same thing with an RV. It's just a different thing you have to learn. And, you know, a lot of times it's interesting and you, you know, it, it's interesting to learn a new skill, a new hobby. I don't know if it's a hobby, but a new <clears throat> skill. Talk to me about the the types of campgrounds that are open to RVs and the levels. And and by that, I mean, I'm sure there are, we've heard of RV parks mm-hmm. where people literally, like I remember driving through Yuma, Arizona, and it was during the wintertime and just RV after RV after RV. And you could tell it was, it was almost permanent. You know, there, there are decks built mm-hmm. to have someone pull up in. So that's an approach. And then there's just regular RV things on the side of the road. Let's just say KOAs, right? Mm-hmm. You get some tents, you get some areas that people put tents, and then you get RV. And then I've read and heard and seen kind of the off the grid free camping, you know, pull off on a national park somewhere or some US federal land, and they're cool with you just hanging out there. It doesn't, there's no spot, there's no nothing. Can you tell me a little bit about kind of the levels of of where you can actually and the experience you can actually have when you're parked with an RV around the country or around the continent? You're in the you're in, you're in Canada right now. Mm-hmm. Around yeah, good in Mexico in November. So, okay, yes, there are RV parks. Okay, we'll call them that. I mean, it's camps, grounds, resorts. It's all kind of stuff. But RV parks where you actually can buy an RV and go live in it. Some people, some people don't even ever drive it. They have it delivered to that that park, and that's where they live and that's where they stay. They just choose to live in this type of house instead of sticks and bricks. But then for me, who is still traveling, I I literally want to still be traveling. 
I'd say from everywhere, from regular RV campgrounds, like your KOA that you were talking about, to small mom and pops, to, and by that I mean they're not a chain, it's just an RV park, on the, like this right here, a nice young couple own this RV park, and she runs the desk, and you see him and his son running around like crazy working on the, the property. And then there is BLM land, which is kind of a slang term for any freelance what i use it as but it's a bureau oh, of land that's management right. that's bureau of land management yes. yeah okay yeah. that's that's what i was talking about right, the right. Whole, you like well you know there's a bunch of land here and uh park it and we're fine with it uh, well sort of kind of there's all kind of apps and and youtube videos on places to stay and there is a learning curve on that my first year i stayed at rv resorts resorts only and there's you know that category resort usually is much higher price it's got the pool and the hot tub and you ha- can only have a class a or there's all these restrictions and i was kind of scared to stay stay at other places for some reason. I thought there wouldn't be as many criminals if they were paying $100 a night. I don't know where that came from. I don't know, but just, you know, I didn't know. I was still learning. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're looking to, to rip me off or hurt me, you're not going to pay, you know, 80 bucks a night to do it, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. Now I'll pull over at a truck stop or rest area and spend the night so easily. I mean, be, feel completely safe and fine there. Absolutely. So once you kind of get into this life and, and honestly join an RV club, because once I joined the RV club, they taught me all that stuff. I didn't know I'd never stayed in, in Bureau, you know, BLM land until I went to California and met this group. I I didn't know about all that, or I was afraid I'd maybe started hearing about it or seeing online, go down a dirt road and three miles to the left. And there's beautiful land out there and you all by yourself. I was like, uh, I don't think so. Um, now, of course, love it and can't wait to do that. Hmm. So when you join an RV club, and I'm, we're definitely going to talk about your yeah, your program and your club, but when you join an RV club, is do they have meetings, like physical meetings? Do they have online meetings? Do I join one? Is Are there a bunch of chapters? What, which, which ones are there out there to join? There's several RV clubs. I, of course, am partial to mine. But no, there's some good ones. There's there's several RV clubs. You can join an RV club that is like Fantasy Tours. And you join them. And I say join, but you, you know, get their newsletter and become a part of them. And they'll take you for, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten grand. They'll take you like to Canada and tell you exactly where to go, when to go. They travel with you. All the arrangements made, you just show up. Then there's a club like I have. It's a membership based and it is for people that are solo. And uh, I just lost my train of thought for, uh, okay, about the club. But so it's for people that are solo and we do more of an itinerary. There aren't chapters. We just show up and start traveling together. We're not, you know, we, we are an independent type minded, if you will. People that travel 60 feet of RV down the road by themselves tend to be pretty independent. So we just meet up and travel. So once you become a member of our club, you have access to all the travel arrangements we have. I think I have eight going on this year. And then you just show up. We have a meeting every day at five just to kind of have an adult beverage and to talk about what we did that day and what we want to do the next day. Very flexible. You stay as long as you want. You come and go as you want. Uh, so it's kind of like um, if I could draw a parallel to uh, like overseas travel or, you know, fancy travel to to long and far away places, you can go get the very expensive mm-hmm. 
handheld tour, personal tour guide with a PhD and pay a boatload of money. Or you could, on the opposite end, do it all yourself and figure it all out and, you know, throw a backpack on and do it on the cheap and use a lot of walking and public transportation. It sounds like kind of where some of these clubs, including yours, are are, are a little bit in the middle, which exactly. is it's loose. You don't have to pay 10 grand a, a trip. My gosh, it's a lot of money for an RV trip. But also there's some sense of community and togetherness. And you said the word tribe, right? There's a bit of a tribe effect in there. Is that right? That's exactly it. And I always tell people when they join our club, they, I could give you 20 reasons to join. But when it comes down to it, when why you join is to have access to, to trips that you don't have to put together. And I'll show you where to stay cheap and free or, you know, really cheap. Or if not, you know, we throw a resort in here and there. And then the second thing that you're getting is friends. Yeah, it's great to drive off in the wild blue wonder by yourself. But after a little while, you know, can I go to dinner with somebody? Can I can I go to a museum with somebody? Can I have some ask somebody, hey, how do I turn on my hot water in here? So everybody needs community and tribe. I don't care how much of a lone wolf you are. Everybody needs it every once in a while. It may not be as much for you as it is for me. So that's why we say you can come and go as you please. I may not need to be with people for three straight months traveling the Canadian Maritimes, or maybe I do want to. It's up to you. Mm, I like it. Can we dive into the solo travel? Your club is specifically for solo travelers, right? Correct. You can be married, but we don't want a married couple together to keep the integrity of the club. We've got several married people, but just for some reason, their spouse or significant other doesn't travel with them. And that's okay. Huh. Yeah, I guess I guess that's a good point to make because mm-hmm. I kind of thought solo travel would be never married, not married, no. or divorced. No, and the club used to be it used to be marketed as a club for singles, and I didn't like that because we're not a dating site. I mean, you know, where you have birds <laughs> and bees, you know, honey happens, but we're not a dating RV site at all. We're here to to travel. But we travel on our own, but together is how I say it. No, we've got, right now on this maritime trip, we've got a guy that's married, but his he's retired. His wife still works. So he's like, honey, I'm I'm going to the Maritimes. And she's like, go. And so he's traveling with us. Oh, yeah. nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that happening for sure. Did, yeah. Uh, all right. So let's go to solo travelers. Tell me about the percentages, male versus female solo travelers out there. In my club, we're a hair more... It's uh, 59% women as than men. So, and I don't know if that's an average. I just, I can speak for my club, but going to some of the other clubs that I've, uh, escapees and some of the other ones I've seen, it's just as many women as men or just as many men as women. So it's, you know, pretty good shift. And I'll tell you what's also funny is we're seeing younger and younger. There was a study done by RV News Industry. It's, it's an industry magazine. They did a study in 2020. And they found that 46% of RVers are 18 to 35 years old. No. Huh. Right. Now, I, th- I think that's that whole van life thing or whatever. Maybe. Yeah, there is that going on there. You've got the super filtered uh, pictures on Instagram everywhere. Oh, yeah. And that's a really big, you know, listen, like I know what I'm talking about. That's a very popular hashtag. It you is. can cue the laughter there. I just said that. Yeah. But yeah, that that's that's out there a lot. You know, you get the beautiful sunsets and the people swimming, you know, off in the distance and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. it just looks beautiful. And I think that attracts a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That 18 to 35 range, I have to assume they're, well, they probably, I can't assume anything. Maybe they're doing remote work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're not. What What's that age group uh, look like to you? I mean, that's t- 
not only is that not even mid-career, that's early career mm-hmm. at that age. What what does that cohort, fancy word, what does that cohort look like? The ones that we have, I think are, well, I have a girl that helps me with some of my marketing and she's one of those van lives. Her and her wife live in a van and have for like six years. I mean, it's it's crazy. But the way that work is nowadays that you have, you can work from home, if you will, why not work from the Grand Canyon as opposed to a house in the winter in Minnesota? I mean, why wouldn't you do that? And I know, you know, talking to her, she they didn't want that. They had that sticks and bricks. They both went to a job and they realized we don't have to do this. We don't have children. We can go anywhere. And so they literally packed up and left. We have a group. I bet they're 28, 30 years old and they work for like the forest management, something like that. I don't remember now, but they work like three months and then they're off three months. And so they come and travel with us for the three months. And I remember asking the one girl that first came, I'm like, well, hon, you're welcome here, but why are you traveling with like your grandparents? She, they love it. They, we feed them, you know, they, they have community around them that are not just the, the, you know, ones they work with. So it is a different way now of looking at things that 18 to 35, they're not necessarily how you and I grew up that, well, you're supposed to get married and get a house and have kids. And you know, this is what you're supposed to do. Start going up the corporate ladder. They don't necessarily see it that way anymore. I mean, you you talk to these folks. I don't. I just look at their pictures on Instagram and get jealous. Is it because of what you said that that work now is different than it was when you and I were growing up? That you had to go to a physical location? Um, is it because of the pandemic that a lot of people went remote? And then, I mean, you can read all the stuff online just as I can. All these employers are trying to get people back in the office, and some of them are saying, "No, this is working a lot better." Mm-hmm. Or is it because? There's a mind shift going on here with um, how people live their lives. I think it's all of that you just said, Matt, and plus throw in the housing market, how expensive it is to rent, how some of these kids rolling out of college with all that debt, and instead of living with mom and dad to pay off debt or whatever, they're getting into these uh, vans and having that life. I talked to an RV dealer, and we had a nice conversation on this, and his Five years ago, he sold big RVs. Now he's got a few to the side and his parking lot is full of vans because and, and small class C's because that's what people want now. That younger, specifically in the 18 to 35 range, they come in there, he said, weekly and buy those things. And a lot of it is the housing market as well. Huh. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, it was. He had a lot of insight on this age group. And I was like, well, I thought people, 54% are over 55. You know, you associate RVing with older. And he's like, not anymore. And you know, those pictures, the heavily filtered pictures and all that you see, that is real. It's real. I mean, I have them too. That's real. But what they don't show you is the challenges and opportunities, if you will, that it takes to get there and swim off in the distance and, you know, be parked out in the middle of nowhere. There's a lot that goes into that photo as opposed to setting up the camera. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Solo travelers. Let's talk about solo travelers and safety. Mm -hmm. And look, if if you're traveling with a couple or you're traveling with grandma and grandpa and and two other folks i mean somebody with a with with a an eye or a mind towards you know bad intent with a handgun or something else mm-hmm. like that i mean yeah i guess that doesn't really matter but from a solo traveler standpoint what are the extra considerations you have to take you already mentioned like at the first you were like man i'm not stopping out of 
mm-hmm. at an overnight truck stop. That's a little sketchy. Mm-hmm. But now you're not there. So can you talk to me a little bit about the safety aspect of this on the open road? Well, experience is always a great teacher, of course, you know, and from the woman perspective, which is the only perspective I know, we already know to be aware of our surrounding. We already know in a parking lot, you know, look around, don't just with your head down, walk to your car. I mean, we already have all that built into us as well. So it was still just like that being in an RV. It's just now I do things like pull the shade down and don't leave the RV, you know, if I'm going to be parked somewhere on the side of the road. But listen, my stepdad was a truck driver and my stepdad, when he learned I was going to do that, the first thing he said is, if you ever get in trouble, pull into a truck stop and go up to a truck driver. They will help you. Now, there may be the one serial killer, but besides that, they're a very nice group of guys and they will help you. And he is so right. I have approached truck drivers before at truck stops inside, inside and ask about this. I can't get my tire monitor to show uh, one of my tires. I can't get it to read. And they came out and helped me. So people are a lot nicer. But definitely I lock this door every time I leave. I don't care if I'm running up to the laundromat. I always lock my door every time I make sure my car doors are locked. It's the same as in the other in the world you're in now it's just your house moves all the all the rules still apply the same old rules i think what happens though in at least in my brain and maybe others is that well when i buy a house oh you know i check the neighborhood out Mm -hmm. you know i'm making sure there's you know all the cars aren't on cinder blocks and Mm -hmm. you know they're not there's not gunfire at night hopefully but, you know, I try to, you know, buy in a nice area that I feel kind of safe. Well, you're moving all the time. How do you know whether or not where you're staying is safe? I don't. You know, I don't. I mean, it's obvious. If I pull up to somewhere and I don't like the looks of it, I leave. It's that simple. I'm like, I'm not doing this. Two times, I don't ever like to travel late in the evening. And by late, I mean six or seven o'clock. In in the RV world, that's late. You need to be settled by three or four at the latest every day. It's light. You can back in, see what you're doing, look around you. Two times I drove, I kept thinking, let me drive 30 more minutes. You know, I'll drive 30 more minutes. And I ended up in two places that were a little sketchy, you know, whatever. It was perfectly fine. But, you know, I shut t- shut my door, stayed in there. and. Unless they take a crowbar to my front door, I mean, they and they could crowbar it open or get something to stand on and break the windows of the RV, which I'm assuming I would hear all that. They can't get in to me, you know, and why would they want to, frankly? I mean, there's not much commodity in a middle-aged white woman anymore, you know, but. <laughs> well, I mean, all your stuff too. It's not like you're, you're holding on to probably, you know, a bag full of diamonds in no, your RV. No, I mean. Don't, if you want to rob somebody, an RV is not the place to do it. There's, what did I say, one bathing suit and four pair of shoes in here. I mean, there's not much to take. <laughs> and if they Fair want the car, point. they can have the car. Uh, you know, like I said, yeah. the, the same rules apply. You wouldn't drive into a sketchy 7-Eleven or, you know, convenience store and get out if you were afraid. You wouldn't do it in an RV either. It's the same concept. All right. And what about personal protection? And you don't have to tell me if you don't want to, but do you carry do you carry anything? I will definitely tell you, and I definitely do. Absolutely. It uh, kind of evens the odds for me. I've never had to use it, never had to pull it out, never anything. But it gives me a little bit of comfort. If, God forbid, they do get in somehow, I have a camera also. I have a dash cam that turns on when there's movement out in front of mine and when there's movement inside. So I've got hundreds of hours of me moving around the RV. But I have a camera, like I said, that at night, 
or at any time. But if, if somebody did get in, at least they're on video. And I do have protection. Absolutely. And that's another great thing about traveling with an RV club. We travel, uh, you know, there's, there's safety in numbers of anywhere, frankly. And that's another, that's another thing. It helps with the anxiety, the loneliness, you know, the, the, the scaredness sometimes that you might feel, especially when you first get started. Mm. All right. What other issues did I not think about around solo travel? Nothing really about how do you know where to go? How do you know what to do when you get there? Okay, we're going to Memphis, Tennessee. You've always wanted to go see Elvis's birthplace. Okay, so you go to Memphis and you see Elvis's birthplace. Well, okay, that's one day. Okay. And then so you sit and you research and you look up and that's fine and you do that. But what about an RV club where when, once you get to Memphis, we tell you here's a great place to park. It's, you know, cheap, free or, you know, it costs 50 a night, whatever it is. We're all going there. And we've got a whole week full of activities that people before us have been to and have said these are fine. Remember, my RV club is 35 years old. You name a place, we've been there. I promise you, we've been there. And we know where to stay. We know that, you know, Miss Ann's famous baked apple pie is really not that good. But there's a place around the corner <laughs> that does have the famous apple pies. You know, we know all those little tricks and tips. And it's great, frankly. It's great. Yeah, so it sounds like, um, I mean, couples going, or even, like you said, whole families going is one approach. Mm-hmm. But if you're a solo traveler, that whole loneliness piece mm-hmm. like you said i don't care if, if if you're the you know most independent person on the planet you know you're not a hermit at mm-hmm. least not a lot not a lot of people are i would imagine the solo piece is probably even more uh, of a reason to consider joining a group to share those experiences with even though even if you like your solo dumb and your privacy and you and you go back in your rv later on or uh, and can you dip in and out mm mm-hmm. mhm Yep, for our club, you can. Because like I said, once you join, you have access to all the places where the exact address, the exact, you know, August 1st to 9th, we're going to be there. And show up if you want. We have right right now on this Canadian Maritime circuit we're on, one lady came the first three stops. She's done the rest of the Canadian Maritime. So she did the three stops, turned around and went back. And then we have another lady that's leaving after, leaving tomorrow, Sunday, or whatever day it is. She's leaving Sunday because she's already done the rest of the part too. So the the rest of the, what we're doing. So she's like, I'm done, you know? And then we have another lady that's joining us in Halifax because she's mm-hmm. already up here and visiting her daughter. And she's like, I'll join you in Halifax and travel the rest of the way with you. That's a great thing about it. And that goes to that independent solo traveler, you know, wanting to travel a lot with the group or not wanting to. And I think that's one of the great benefits of this club. All right. So we're talking USA and Canada. What about Mexico? And do you have any people, have you ever gone even further south than Mexico? I mean, because there are roads all the way down to uh, the very tip of South America, right? Mm -hmm. And Alaska, and there's all sorts of stuff. You can head north of here. How far have you gone? Where are you thinking about going? And what are the considerations of going up to the Great White North and all the way down into Central America? When I got my first RV, I drove to Alaska from South Florida to Alaska. It took me oh, about- Oh, that is a haul. Oh, my God. That's but, a haul. But you know what? Remember, I'm not on vacation. So it I, I bet it took me six weeks 
eight weeks to get there. I went here, went there, I went to California, drove out the California coast, stopped here, stopped there, stayed a week, stayed a week, stayed a week. Da, da, da. So, you know, I don't have to be there at any certain time. So I did that. We Our club goes to Mexico every year and have super cheap living right on the beach because we've gone there for 20 years. So we know the guy, he sets aside a place for us and we are living on the beach with single digit campground fees single digit you know what single digit is it's less than ten dollars so we have that then we and we and we have a, a lady down there that goes every year and she knows all the places to go and see and do in 2024 we have a cabo trip we're going to start in arizona drive down to cabo 2025 we've got alaska coming up so it's a great time to join our little merry band here because we've got a lot coming up and i've done every bit of all that by myself i might add all right, I'm going to go to the Mexico piece. We all see news articles. If not, all you got to do is look, and you've got State Department warnings and, you know, red states, don't go there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, red states in Mexico. I know what you mean, not, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, the do not travel list. How much do you have to, and then, you know, so I have a friend, and he's probably listening. He's going to laugh uh, right out loud, which is he wanted me to go to Mexico right around the holidays and go on this wonderful fishing trip. And it, it was in the uh, Mexican state of Sinaloa. Yeah. Anybody that watches, you know, Narcos on, on uh-huh. Netflix or anything else, that, that name rings a bell. And right before he left, there was a big cartel battle shootout gun thing. And I, I said, I'm not going. And he goes, ah, it's nothing. And he went and there was, it was nothing for him. And he went fishing and caught a ton of fish. And now he pokes fun at me every chance he can about being a wimp and not going down there. So, and I went, and that was one of those states that was like, basically, if, you, if you're an American citizen, A, don't go. B, if you do, don't use, you know, taxis or Uber. Don't go out after 7 p.m. Like really I know. scary, stark warnings. How does that not scare people, especially solo travelers off? I wouldn't do that either. I, I watch Narco too, and I would go nowhere near Sinaloa. Whether, you know, it's probably very nice or who knows the people there. But the place we go is pretty Americanized, if you will. It's about 60, 70 miles from the coast. We go together. Remember, we've been doing this same trip for years and years and years. They know exactly what to do, exactly how to do it. Several of our members have been pulled over by the police and have you know, paid the fine on the side of the road and it was fine. That still goes on? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I, I haven't had it, but yeah, it, it, you know, it's a fine. And so pay it and keep moving. That's, that's it. And abide by their rules and get down there in the resort. And again, we've been there so many, I keep saying that, but it's what I tell people that want to go, members that want to go, but are afraid. We've been going so long. They know just like you would here, don't walk down that road because that's not a nice road and you can see the cars up on the, the center blocks or whatever that means to you. But we've never had any trouble. One time, one member went down into the sketchy part of town. He said he was lost. We think he was looking for something and he got rolled. You know, they took his stuff, uh, everything out of his van, his shoes. <laughs> they took his belt. They took everything. And, but yet he was in a place he shouldn't be. So, you know, otherwise we've never had one bit of trouble anywhere. And I got to imagine traveling in groups is probably yeah. a bit of a, yeah. a different thing than just like loading up and going to Mexico without a plan. Do you have to look at, uh, do you look at those warning yeah. maps? Do you look at that? You do. So okay. I do. So you, you, yeah, absolutely. Right. And the place we go has never had any of that, you know, knock wood, has never had any of those kind of warnings because it's it's very American. There's a McDonald's. I mean, it's very Americanized there. 
and not very, but there's high rises and, you know, you still get the local culture and flavor and all that. And I shouldn't say there's a McDonald's. There's definitely chain restaurants. I know that. I know that. So. All right. Well, let's go north for a second. Canada. Any issues there? Or is it just like anywhere else? You got to have your head on a swivel, just like you're going. There are places all over this country, the, the U.S., that you wouldn't go and yeah. you know where you're not going. Yeah. And so I guess the difference in Mexico is you're looking those places up and you're probably checking all the boards and the communication and your, and your community knows a lot of that too as well, which yeah. is also another good reason to join a community. Yeah. What about uh, other areas or um, best places you've ever gone? Let's do that. I want to hear the best places you've ever gone that no one's either ever heard about or no one's ever really highlighted. I mean, we all know the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. Sure. Where are the coolest places that you found in your travels? Let's let's go there. That is so hard to say because one is better than the next. I didn't start, I didn't keep a journal until about six months in because, oh, I'll remember this. I'll never forget this in my life. I can't remember where I went the first year. I've had so many incredible experiences. But you know what? I'm going to go backwards for a second on on the Grand Canyon. We've all been to the Grand Canyon. Okay. Or if not, you've all seen where you park, you get out and there's a railing. You look over the Grand Canyon. You're like, oh my God, this is great. You may walk down to the gift shop. You may walk down to the interpretive center. That's wonderful. However, once I joined this group, they're like, oh no, we're going to ride a Mike ride through the Grand Canyon for 13 miles. Did you know that there is 13 mi- at least 13 miles of trail on the Grand Canyon that is only by walking or by riding a bike? And we rode all through the Grand Canyon and saw places that are not on the brochures and was awesome. One time we were in Maine. There's one that I remember. There's one time we were in Maine and one of our group members knew the fisherman from going all these years. You go down there. He texts when he's coming in and I've got lobsters. And we went down to where he docks and he had lobsters that he, you know, it's commercial fisherman. And we all got $10 lobsters from that guy. I mean, he literally handed us from his tank lobsters here and we took them home and are, you know, back to the campsite we were at. And uh, ate lobsters standing in a parking lot with butter running down our hands. And the sun was setting. We were in Maine. It was beautiful. That is a memory right there that stands out to me because, like, this is living. This is a small moment of a beautiful life. And that, of all the places I've been, stands out. But, you know, I've done Horseshoe Point. I've done 41 of the 62 national parks. I get it mixed up. I've either done 42 out of the 61 or 41 out of the 62 I can't remember which it is, but it's a lot. lot. It's a lot of them. And, uh, you know, beautiful. And I'm so incredibly lucky to get to see all those. And so when you ask me, where's my favorite spot? I don't know. Canada's pretty darn nice. Let me tell you, Prince Edward Island, where I am right now, is very nice. It's September 1st. And yesterday we had to have on light sweatshirts because the weather was nice. We don't do hot weather and we don't do snow. So there's that. All year round, we have a nice constant temperature, so that's my favorite place too. Wherever the weather's good, nice. I I have seen online. There's some guy I think that runs a website, and I don't know how I stumbled across it, but he's made trips on a map of where it's always seventy degrees. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> have you seen this? No, I've seen. I don't know that one, but yeah, I've seen them. I've seen them. Yeah, yeah. So it's like if you want to do just the continental U.S., there's you know over over a twelve month period. Yeah, 
he'll he'll go you know in in january you're in houston right? right and in august you're in uh the tippy top of montana right and then he's got one that that includes alaska and then he's got one that includes all of canada as well and i'm sure many others but i always thought that was cool chasing 70 degrees we absolutely had that every once in a while i'll get a member say hey are we doing anything in new mexico in june i'm like not on your life sister are we going anywhere near the south in june we're all in michigan canada the Pacific Northwest. We've got a group right now that's been in the Pacific Northwest since May. And they're done. They did all, which is, I've never been up there except to fly in to ski and to fly in once to do a cruise. But that looks incredible up there. Why anybody would do the South in the summer, I don't know. But <laughs> our RV group, we know where to put you. We And we don't even offer you anything in the summer in the South. All right. Tell me about your RV group. Give me the name. How do I find it? I already kind of have a bit of the experience through what you told me. So give me give me more about the group. Tell me about it. History, cost, website, I don't know, 1-800 number, whatever it is. <laughs> okay. Here's this, here's this spiel. It was started in 1988 by seven people sitting around a campfire that said, hey, in 1988, people didn't just go off in RV by themselves. They were very- No, you were weird in 1990, oh, 1988 if you were doing this. There was something wrong with your money. I mean, I even had my right. mom go, is everything all right with your money? When she knew I wanted to do this. I'm like, mother, I'm fine. But yeah, 1988 and the escapees had just formed one year before. And they were members of, it was like, you know, we need a group like that, but for solo people. So we're not the weird one, you know, the table for eight and there's the one seat there that's always empty. So and slowly but surely that has grown from this little ad hoc little seven people into, I'm the fourth owner now. And it's like a small business uh, that, you know, that we have, we have uh, eight trips going right now. We, the membership is only $120 a year because you do everything you're, well, look on the website and it explains it more about how it actually works, but it's a very nom- nominal cost. Wondering individuals. Give me the website name. Sorry. Give me, I'll put it in the notes and okay. everything. But tell me what the website yep. is. It's Wondering Individuals Network. Uh, WINS is our acronym, Wandering Individuals Network. And if anybody wants to, they can email me directly and I'll talk to them, help them, go over it with them, especially like the women that are afraid, want to do this, but that are afraid to go off on their own. My email is WINSRVClub at Gmail, WINS, W-I-N-S-R-V-Club at Gmail. And what I'll do, Matt, is when this when whenever you want, I'll do a $10 off membership, okay? Uh, we'll give them the code of your the name of your website or whatever name you want, but it'll be in your show notes too. And they'll get yeah. a $10 uh, coupon off uh, for the next, I don't know, week or so. Nice. I'll put it in the, um, you know, if you're, if you're using like, you know, Apple podcast or Spotify or something, it'll be right in there, but also it'll be on the Matt website too, underneath the show notes. It'll be okay. in there. Cool. Yeah. Would you email that to me when we're I done? Will. I will. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So it's 120 bucks. Mm-hmm. $10 That's a month. not a lot of money for what you get. It's not. And I started to go into it, but we don't make reservations for you. All right. So you have to do your own reservations, that kind of thing. You have to look at the itinerary and decide where you want to go, which most people are okay with that. But it's not a, there's not a wagon master. There's not a front guy, a back guy. There's none of that. So we don't have to have that overhead cost. And of course I work from home, you know, with a, with a laptop, but the club runs on its own, basically. I mean, I do have problems I have to deal with here and there, but the cost is low because we just keep it low. This is 
that no one's getting rich off this. So I'm not getting rich off this, but it's it's kind of like a service as well, if you will. I wanted to find a tribe and people for like myself and the nominal cost helps you commit a little bit, helps with some overhead. Otherwise, come join your people, come join your tribe, start living this country seeing this country and living a fulfilling life, not just getting by in your RV. You shouldn't be camping in your RV. You should be living a good life, seeing the Canadian Maritimes for two months and getting out of the August heat. That's what you should be doing. I always tell everyone, if you don't know what you want to do and where you want to go, come travel with us. You may not, it may not be a fit for you, but it'll help you kind of fine tune how it is that you do want to travel. You think you'll ever get off the road? Yes. And then I see 80-year-old ladies, 74-year-old men hooking up a big old fifth wheel that makes my 60 feet look like I'm driving a Volkswagen down the road. And I see them out hiking and doing all this stuff and think, why would I ever want to go sit in a house and watch TV? I, I don't know. And then other days, you know, I get a flat tire and it's two days before they can get a tire. I'm like, ugh, if this I was at it sticks and bricks, I wouldn't have this issue. And then I get the tire and I'm fine. So for now, I don't see it happening. No. Now, do I see me sitting longer, like coming up here to the Canadian Maritimes and finding a campground or BLM land and sitting there for a month or two? I can see that happening. I can see that. There's so much still to see in the world and in, in the, the country. Uh, when you ever, I've looped the U.S. three times and been to Canada and Mexico and all that already. I still have so much to see. I just can't imagine stopping. I This lifestyle keeps you younger, keeps you active. When you're traveling with a group of people and one of them wins a lottery to hike the wave in Utah, why wouldn't you go to that? And I don't want to miss that out by being at home. Uh, that's, it sounds so exciting. And, and I know I can talk to you for another hour or two mm. or three. <laughs> Let me ask the kind of the closing question I always do. What about RV travel, RV life, solo travel, female solo travel? What topics did I not ask about that I should have? Well, I would say, I don't know. I think we covered it all. I would say you didn't ask me what tips. What would I give female or or male or even anybody starting to travel, solo or not? If you can't decide if you want this life, I would tell you two things. Number one, be quiet. Number two, stop talking to everybody about it. When I say be quiet, I mean be quiet, quit asking, quit talking, quit anxiety, quit thinking, quit. Watch some YouTube videos, educate yourself, go to some RV parks. Number two, quit asking everybody about it because most people are going to say, you can't go off and do that. Are you crazy? You're going to sell this house, your equity, your interest rate, your safety. You can't drive an RV. They're going to, and you're going to be like, yeah, you know, they're right. They're right. If you're already thinking about this, all you have to do is take the steps to make it work. So that's always my advice. Be quiet and stop talking to everybody. Rent an RV, go see if you like this, and then rent another kind. Rent two or three RVs. Matter of fact, if you go on my website, I have a place where you can rent an RV and see if you want to come travel with us. And I'll let you come stay with us for a little bit. That's awesome. You know, just occurred to me, what do you do for holidays? What do you like? Uh, Christmas. Uh, you know, yeah, well, you sure. <clears throat> I mean, Thanksgiving, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have... Um, I'm thinking about doing this. I'm thinking about all my kids and grandkids coming in here if I'm of a certain age. The family home, you know, the uh, the Yuletide vlog of sitting by the fire. That, that's a, I don't know, that's kind of a romantic 
commonality, right? People all mm. gather at the family house or oh, gather yes. with mom and dad and kids in college yeah. or kids just starting out want to come home and feel this sort of way. And then, then I also think, well, let's, that's two holidays, maybe three a year. Do I really want a house for three holidays? Yeah. What what do you how do you handle those things? And how do the people you travel with that have, you know, large families that want to come home, quote unquote? How do you how do you handle that? I had the same thing. I would tell you that we celebrate Christmas like everybody else. I go to my daughter's house and when they built their house, they built a plug so I can plug right in the side of their house so that I can come there. I usually go to Florida for November and December. But however, not everybody has a family, right? Or their children, they're estranged or whatever the case may be. Like this year, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving in Mexico on the beach. We set up a big, beautiful table. We bring in turkeys and we have a beautiful Thanksgiving on the beach in Mexico. All right. Now there's a memory for you as opposed to the Yuletide around the the, the house or whatever. But and a lot of people go to their kids' houses. A lot of them, a lot of them do. But for the 40 or 50 that don't, we we give you somewhere. And then in, in, uh, for Christmas time, we celebrate Christmas in Yuma behind the Elks Lodge in this huge open gravel parking lot that's free. And they bring in fryers and turkeys and hams and all this and have this big, huge celebration that lasts two hours and then the holiday's over. So, I mean, you're really going to keep a house just for that? Nah. If, if that means that much to you, you're not ready to RV yet. That's a simple, nope. easy way to do it. I've got a couple of checklists too. I've got one checklist, 10 questions to ask yourself. If Are you really ready to go off RVing? I'll be glad to send that to you if, as well if, if you know somebody wants to look at that. If they're, they're no big deal questions, but if you'll sit and think about them, it'll help you see if you're ready. Because if you're answering no to all of them, you're not ready. Yeah. Yeah. That goes right back to the beginning of what we first started talking about. You really have to do some soul searching, but as you just mentioned, you know, don't go, don't go ask fifteen people, right? It's the uh, decision making by consensus will get you an average response every time. It really will. Great saying, yes, it really will. Yep. Janelle, this is awesome, and I mean this. I could go another hour, mm-hmm. or maybe even longer, but uh, I'm looking at the clock here and going, uh, mm-hmm. this is probably perfect timing to stop. Maybe we'll have you back on again. Who the heck knows where you're going to be next time we talk? That's true. And I have a bike ride that I have to go do on, along the ocean of Prince Edward Island that's leaving at 1030. So, <laughs> sorry, you people go back to work. I'm going on a bike ride along the ocean in Prince Edward Island. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, jealous is a word that's come to mind, <laughs> yeah. uh, but also very happy for you. It Thank sounds you. like a wonderful lifestyle, and I'm so glad that you uh, came on the show to tell everybody about it. I'll have all the links and show notes and checklists and discounts on the website. Uh, and then in the show notes as well of wherever you're listening or watching to this. Great. So Janelle, thank you so much for doing this. This was a blast. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate you. The Matt Ferret Show, related content, publications, and MF Media LLC is in no way associated, endorsed, or authorized by any governmental agency, including the Social Security Administration, the Department of Health and Human Services, or the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The Matt Ferret Show is in no way associated with, authorized, approved, endorsed, nor in any way affiliated with any company, trademark names, or other marks mentioned or referenced in or on The Matt Ferret Show. Any such mention is for purpose of reference only. Any advice, generalized statistics, or opinions expressed are strictly those of the host and guests of The Matt Ferret Show. Although every effort has been made to ensure the contents of The Matt Ferret Show and related content are correct and complete, laws and regulations change quickly and often. 
The ideas and opinions expressed on The Matt Ferret Show aren't meant to replace the sage advice of healthcare, insurance, financial planning, accounting, or legal professionals. You are responsible for your financial decisions. It is your sole responsibility to independently evaluate the accuracy, correctness, or completeness of the content, services, and products of, and associated with, The Matt Ferret Show, MF Media LLC, and any related content or publications. The thoughts and opinions expressed on The Matt Ferret Show are those of the host and The Matt Ferret Show guests only, and are not the thoughts and opinions of any current or former employer of the host or guests of The Matt Ferret Show, nor is The Matt Ferret Show made by, on behalf of, or endorsed or approved by any current or former employer of the host or guests of The Matt Ferret